Thanks, Blakely. Also, another big announcement this week. Did anybody happen to see the video this week of Patrick Mahomes throwing a football off of a double-decker bus and that guy hitting the parking meter and falling back? Did you see that? Ryan Carr, our very own Ryan James Carr, made that video earlier this week, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're just here to celebrate our, the proud accomplishments uh, in our community. Eight million views. Eight million views got shared by Patrick Mahomes himself, you guys. Way to live, man. Like, way to, way to like, really step in and, and live your life. That's incredible. The very best thing. He sent it to me. He goes, dude, check this out. And I didn't even know that the guy hit the parking meter. And then the next day, like, Patrick Mahomes shared it. And he's like, yo, is that guy okay? <laughs> and now Ryan's going to make a million dollars. And uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. Um, has anybody been following the send? You guys remember? So a couple weeks ago when we were here, we were talking about how in October, uh, the send is coming to, to Arrowhead Stadium, this massive, like, youth thing. Well, they were in... Brazil over the weekend. Was anybody watching this? Yeah, they were in Brazil over the weekend. 140 to 160,000 youth gathered in three different stadiums all across the, the country of Brazil. And I want to encourage you, I want like go this afternoon and just troll on the internet. Just hashtag the send and look at the videos that are coming in from this thing because it is unprecedented hunger. It, it is like nothing. I, I've never seen anything like that. You know, I had friends that were there and they were like, dude, I, I, I'm cry- I, I woke up crying. I've been crying all day. This is unbelievable. And it's incredible that it's coming to Kansas City in October. And it's a part of what God is doing. Uh, There's this report that the president of Brazil was in attendance and gave his life to Christ yesterday in the middle of the event. Like it's, we're talking about like massive movement of God. So I'm not trying to be like dramatic or fantastic. God is moving on the earth, and we're here to see it. Like, this is the most legit thing. I was just standing in the shower this morning, and I was just like, God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that this is coming ahead of our kids. Like, there's a movement of God that is going to, like, bring hope in the place of cynicism. I was just like, I don't want to, I'm out of will, and I'm in it. I'm going to raise my kids up with hope in their heart in an age of cynicism. But it's going to be incredible when there's, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of foreigners that are right in front of them saying, come follow me. We're going to go hard after Christ, you know? So it's just pretty fun. Pretty cool. Hey, today's a great day, uh, a really good day. I don't know if you've noticed yet, but Glenn and Nancy Kaler are back in the room with us, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is a real thing. There is a strong demographic of people at the Gathering Network right now, or maybe not strong, but a slim demographic of people that don't know who Glenn and Nancy are. Isn't that crazy? Because there's, this has been a year of growth. Glenn and Nancy, you guys, are the founders of the Gathering Network, and they are the spiritual mom and pop to us all. And a year ago, the thing that we had always set in our heart to do, which was for Glenn to work himself out of a job, that would be your words, not mine, it happened a year ago, and he transferred the leadership of the Gathering Network to our staff, to Jordan and I, and uh, um, we've been leading over the last year while we sent Glenn and Nancy away on a year of sabbatical and study leave, and it's been a year. Isn't that crazy? And so that year is, is up right now, and we're welcoming you guys back into regular rhythms with us, man, and we're really excited that you're here. Um, I want to give you guys an idea of what to expect, um, uh, just because I think it's worth it, you know? 
um, Glenn and Nancy's role as they come back into our life and our community, would their desire is to be like the chief cheerleader and the chief cheerleaders and chief supporters of our community. And that is absolutely who they are and who they will continue to be. Glenn won't serve in an official role um, on our staff any longer, but um, kind of sideline coach, just saying, go get them. And uh, we're just really glad that you guys are back. Glenn now um, is uh, entering into a season of coaching and spiritual direction um, that we're really, really excited about. You know, I think the last year he has kind of heard from the Lord, like, hey, don't sweat really hard, like what you're going to be doing vocationally. He's still just kind of listening and still just like, man, I'm just, I'm just gods and I'm just not really feeling like I have to push my foot on the gas, you know? So that's kind of cool, you know? That's kind of exciting to be in that place in life. So we love you guys. We're, you know, welcome home. We're really glad that you guys are here. There's going to be times when Glenn and Nancy aren't in the room because they're going to be out coaching other churches, spending time with other people. That's no commentary on whether, you know, they're here or not. They didn't leave, okay? Again, they didn't leave again. Can we pray for you guys? And, yeah. If you can, maybe just stretch a hand that way. And, and um. Father, we just thank you for Glenn and Nancy Kaler. And we're thanking you, God, that this last year you've spoken to them. You've done an incredible work in their life and heart. God, I thank you for the margin that they had to be with family over the last year in a, in a really critical year, a really critical year. And we thank you for Glenn and Nancy. We thank you for their, their history with us. We thank you for how they've shaped us and formed us. We thank you for the investment, and we thank you that there's more to come. And we bless them today in Jesus' name. We bless them. We're so thankful, Father, to be in rhythms of life with them again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anya Carr is doing our congregational reading this morning, you guys. Hi, guys. This is my first time ever speaking on the mic. Isn't that crazy? Um, Okay, Acts 1, 1 through 11. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles here were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has, this, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here, staring into heaven? 
Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Can we give Anya a round of applause just for bringing us the word this morning? It's been a fun little addition to just have somebody um, read the word over us as we enter into our time together. And so um, thank you, Anya, for being willing to do that today. I want to just ask you a question this morning as we step into... Um, our morning together as we step into hearing from Jesus together. And the question is this, have you ever had an experience where you were not prepared for something important? Think about that for a second. Maybe try to think of a specific example. Have you ever had the experience where you weren't prepared for something important? What I know is true is every parent is putting their hand in the room right now. Every parent is like in their heart, just, that's me, firstborn, oh man. But there's lots of other places in life, too, where maybe we've thought we were prepared and we weren't, or we went into something knowing that we weren't prepared. We didn't, maybe a test or something, where we did not prepare um, the way we could have. And I have this reoccurring experience in my life, happens regularly to me, And it happens usually when I travel. And most people in the room may know some of these stories and things like that, but I just have really bad luck when I travel. It just, the number of times that it goes well and things go as planned are pretty low compared to the amount of times that things haven't gone well. For me, that reoccurring experience has just taught me a lot about learning how to be prepared. And, and don't get me wrong, as we enter into this conversation this morning, I want to make sure you know that we're not saying, I'm not saying that you can be prepared for every last thing in life. That's just not possible, to be prepared for every last situation that could ever come your way. But it was kind of interesting for me to reflect on some different experiences I've had when I've traveled Um, Usually they involve a foreign country and a border that I need to cross and me not knowing what I'm supposed to be doing in that moment. One of those times I was in South Africa traveling to Mozambique and the missionary that I was going to um, help and support um, said, it's no big deal. You'll be fine. You can cross that border. It's so easy. And I was and my roommate, who was going with me, we were both like, I don't know about that. Like, can't we just get a direct flight in? Let's skip the whole complications. Like, let's just, you know, make it easy. And he's like, no, it's no big deal. It's easy to cross the border. You'll have no problems. Well, that experience started out with us getting off the bus. We took, like, a 15-hour bus ride, much longer than we thought it was going to be. And entered um, what you, the, every border has a no man's land. So it's where one country begins and the, the next, or one country ends and the next one begins. There's this place where usually border patrol and people are doing visas and stamps and all those different things. And um, we get off the bus, and thankfully the Lord sent us an angel because within five minutes a guy came up to me. He's like, I'll take your passports and your money and I'll go get your visas. And we're sleep-deprived and tired. And I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. And literally, as we were about to hand those over, what was I thinking? Um, 
a lady comes up and she's like, no, 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 no. And literally an angel from the Lord that said, I'll help you walk through this process. Praise the Lord, because otherwise I might still be stuck in Mozambique at the border. (laughs) This sweet woman stands in line with us, tells us what we need to know. We're recognizing, oh gosh, we only have American money. What an American thing to do. And we don't know, will they take that? Will they not? Some borders do, some borders don't. She's like, oh, it's no problem, no problem. Well, she's in line in front of us, gets up there, does her thing, and takes off. My roommate and I enter into a conversation with the Border Patrol agent, and he's like, you know, passports, money, doesn't speak a whole lot of English. And I put our passports and money down, and he laughs. He literally laughs at the American currency on the table. And I am just like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. And he takes our passports, he opens them up, he takes the money and the passports and walks to a back room. It's gone for a good five minutes, which never feels good when you're in a foreign country, you don't know the language, and you don't know what's happening. And he comes back, and he's just laughing. And he, he pushes the money back across the table, and he keeps our passports. And I'm standing there with like desperation in my spirit, like, this is not going to happen on my watch. And I start to get a little feisty, and he's laughing, which doesn't make it any better at all. And there was something that rose up in me, just like, who told me this was going to be easy? Like, where is that guy? Because I want to talk to him. And over the course of the next five minutes or so, I was persuasive enough to get our passports back and to get the stamp that we needed Um, probably wasn't my finest moment in life. And my roommate was standing there like, shh, you're being too loud. What is wrong with you? And I just was like, this is not going to happen on my watch. We're not going to get stuck here. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Oh, man, that's that guy. I look back on that and think he probably was pretty humored by us, as he should have been. There's another time when I was coming home from Germany, and at this point I've traveled plenty to know better. Um, but I had packed my carry-on bag, and I was doing my thing, and I'd stuck some snacks in there. We are on the plane, off the plane, going through American customs, and (laughs) I get flagged and sidelined as though there's something in my bag. And I'm like, oh, great, like running through, did I leave water? What did I, you know, post 9-11, who knows what I left in there that I shouldn't have And I get sent to the room where everybody comes to America for the first time and doesn't know what they can't bring into the room. Mindy Hamilton was with me. We get separated, and she's like, I don't know where you're going, but I'll hope I see you later. And I go through this line, and they search my bag, and there's an apple in my bag. Just in case you need to know, you can't bring fruits and vegetables back from other countries because they have seeds in them. It qualifies for this certain thing. You can't do that. And I just was like, literally, they're searching my bag. Like, what do you have in here? Is there this? Is there this? Is there this? And I'm like, I don't know. And he pulls out the apple and he's like, you can't have this. Oh my gosh. How did I even, I don't even know how that happened. And on that same trip, I learned a very valuable lesson that I'm going to share with you this morning. When you sit down in your seat, please always check for a courtesy bag and make sure you have one, because that is the first time ever I have been sick on a plane, and I did not have a bag. Yeah, it's as bad as you might imagine. May God bless Mindy Hamilton forever. 
it was not pretty. It was not good. Our friendship really grew through that moment there. Um, but I tell you what, I learned a good lesson about preparation in that moment. <laughs> because every time I get on a plane, what's the first thing I do? Yeah, Mindy learned a valuable lesson too. You check for the bag. And if you don't have one, no matter how seasoned you are, or no matter how much a stomach of steel you have, check for the bag. Because you never know when you might need it. All that to say, in all of those experiences, there's many times that I thought I was prepared as I could be, and I wasn't, and something unexpected happened. And I learned a lot of valuable lessons along the way, and you adjust, and you make changes, so the next time I go and I fly, I do things differently, right? I'm more prepared, in a sense. But what about the times when we try to prepare for the best of our abilities, and we still find that we aren't ready for what we face? Have you ever had a moment like that? Have you ever had a moment where you've studied, you've prepared, you've done the exercises, you've done the training to run the marathon? It could be a variety of different things. And something unexpected happens, and you're not as prepared as you thought. Which also is a travel experience for me. In 2015, I went to Israel. I packed the perfect bag. I had every last thing that I needed to make that trip a success. And the bag never arrived. Never came. Two weeks hiking through Israel with clothes that I threw away when I got home. And I prepared for that. I was ready for that. Like, I went through the training. We had training we did. We met up with another team. We had this perfect bag packed. And my bag literally sat for two weeks in an airport in Amman, Jordan. And I, had, I could do nothing in that moment. What I've found through these experiences is that sometimes our best preparations may not be preparing me or you for what you actually thought you might need. And so then we have to build and and grow our capacity to do the preparation we need to do, but also learn how do we reinforce the foundations that we have to be able to stand firm and stand strong when things don't, when circumstances change. Because again, you cannot be perfectly prepared for every last situation or bad thing that might happen in terms of details, the perfect backpack, the perfect study. It's just not possible to do that perfectly. In those times and in those situations, when we've prepared and when circumstances go awry, we sort of learn and access new parts of us that we may not have known were there. When things get tight, when we get squeezed, when things don't go as planned, what comes out of us sometimes reveals what's actually happening in our internal world. The question of preparation is an important one for us to talk about when we're talking about renewal and revival, which is where we've been for the last month together. Because there's always a risk that something might keep us from being able to identify God's movement should we not be prepared to participate with him. We always run that risk. The thing is, you can know a lot about Jesus You can know a lot about him, 
and still not know him. You can know a lot about him and still not know him. You can do all the studies in the world. You can go to the best schools that are going to teach you things. But there is a difference between knowing a lot about him and actually knowing him. We can easily become complacent and unwilling to do new work that might lead us in a new way, identifying his movement, his work, what he's doing. The picture I've had, and we've used this for a long time when we talk about hearing from God, is tuning a radio. You know, we don't really do that anymore. We don't really, some people in the room are like, I totally get, I can picture the radio, and some of you are like, what? Spotify hasn't existed forever? No, it hasn't. Learning to hear God's voice is literally sometimes like tuning a radio to find the frequency and to tune in and to really hear what's being said. Sometimes it's static and it's hard to hear, and sometimes you get the clearest reception and are able to hear. The question I want to ask you this morning in terms of preparation, are you prepared to recognize God's movement happening around you? Is your heart ready? Is your mind ready? Is your will literally how you're going to choose to live your life? Is that part of you ready? Say, God's moving here. How do I join with him? Do I have the capacity? Am I prepared enough to be able to do that? And again, I'm not talking about studying for a test, that kind of prepared, or packing for a trip. The question is, do you know him today more than you can say, I know things about him? One of the important things to think about, you know, I told John as we walked into this week, like, I don't know what to stand up and say to people. Like, I feel like I've said everything I can ever say about spending time with Jesus, making time to be in the word, learning to pray, having rhythms in your life that can sustain that. We've covered it all in the last 10 years. We've covered a lot about how to grow closer to Jesus, how to mature in Jesus. What else can I possibly even stand up there and say? Because at the end of the day, we have to choose in our lives that path and to choose that growth. What's the posture of your heart this morning? When John stands up here and tells a story about 180,000 students roaring for Jesus, are you kind of like, I don't know about that. Is that real? Is that fake? Is that authentic? Is the posture of your heart, are you sitting back with your arms crossed like, I'm going to see how that plays out. Is that really God? Does he really work like that? Maybe you're complacent. And maybe you're saying to yourself, when it comes to your spiritual life and your spiritual maturity, I'll get to that someday. I'll get to that someday. Maybe some of you are leaning in and saying to Jesus, I want more of you, whatever it takes. I want more of you, whatever it takes. Are you learning to tune that frequency to his voice? Are you learning to attend to the iceberg of your life? All the things that are underneath the surface that make you, you. 
Are you attending to that and leaning in? There's a lot of different postures we can have when we start talking about renewal and revival. And I just want to say what we're running for together as a community is leaning in, leaning forward. Help me go deeper, Jesus. How do I hear your voice in new ways? How do I grow in my hunger for your scriptures, for your word, for your voice? We've been in this conversation about renewal and revival that John sort of led us through in the last month. Not sort of, he has. And the idea that renewal really can only come personally when there's a crystallization of discontent was the term that John used. Meaning, revival in God's kingdom begins with personal renewal. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Personal renewal together is what leads to revival. Are we personally ready for renewal when we reach the end of ourselves, moving from being just complacent, maybe sitting back, I'll see how this goes, arms crossed. Moving from complacency to allowing our discontent to move us to action. That's what the crystallization of discontent means. That literally, you're not just going to be discontent and dissatisfied. You're going to move into action because of that. That discontent combined with us being at the end of ourselves is what drives us to new places of pursuing Jesus, if we will let it. If our knowledge cannot get in the way of our hunger, if our doubts can be heard before Jesus with grace and peace, if our pain and our hurt and our stories can be put before Jesus and held so tenderly, that we know that we're seen and known and heard. Mark Sayers says something very challenging about renewal and about being prepared. The idea that things have to be broken down in order to be built back up. And here's what he said. We have it on the screen so you can follow along because I'm going to read it for us. He says, the Western life system has formed us in a particular way that creates people who resist the move of God in subconscious ways. The average Westerner is a radical individualist who is deeply afraid of compromising their autonomy. We determine self-worth and identity primarily horizontally via the media, culture, or peers. We are shaped by the passive-aggressive tone of consumerism, where we, where was, sorry, um, where we want maximum say with minimum responsibility. Let me read that again. We are shaped by a passive-aggressive tone of consumerism, where we want maximum say with minimum responsibility. And I would put in quotes here, social media. We are shaped primarily by our fluid, ever-shifting feelings, We yearn for community and connection, yet we fear commitment and consistency. 
We wish for justice while desiring hedonistic payoffs. We religiously point the finger at others while jealously guarding our own right to do as we please. All these factors place us in a precarious place. The hard truth is that even when we come to the end of ourselves, stepping into a holy discontent with our culture, these patterns have deeply shaped us. They have turned us into the kind of people who are useless in the kind of renewals and revivals that God brings, people who will most likely resist renewal. If you actually stopped and think and thought about it this morning, I'm guessing almost every person in the room could find themselves somewhere in that quote. And sometimes we don't even know it's happening inside of us, the things that we want to defend or protect. One of the um, Barna studies that came out last year with what well, was a partnership with World Vision. I'm not going to quote the statistics because I'll get it all wrong. But one of the big things that they came out of the study with that was done internationally, so young people all over the world, was the level of loneliness that was distracting and detouring people from Jesus, from being able to access a full life in the body of Christ. It made me think of the story of the rich young ruler in Luke 18. Sometimes we read this and we think about it only through the lens of money. And there's a lesson there in money, for sure, and how our finances can trip us up when it comes to accessing Jesus. But Luke 18 for me this week has been a point where it's like, is Jesus, ask, Jesus is asking him for everything he's got. It says this, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked this question, sorry, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. He was not prepared for what Jesus was going to ask him for. He was not prepared. <laughs> for what Jesus was going to ask him for. And I have that fear in my own life. Am I prepared to see God do miracles, amazing things? Is my heart ready to see it and say, yes, Lord, that's you, and I want to see more? Some versions of this text say the man went away sad. And again, there's a, a lesson there in certainly money and the role it plays in our lives. But I think there's also a deeper thing there that we can say, Jesus asked him for something he wasn't ready to give. He wasn't prepared to give it. In Acts, so I don't know, how many of you have been reading along with us in the New Testament? Anybody? A few of you? 
I've been thinking about this. It's a, I've thought this morning, it's about to get real good in Acts. But then I'm like, but Jesus died and rose again. What's not awesome about that? I love how this reading plan put Luke and Acts together because they were actually um, believed to be written by the same person. And so we get into Acts and we enter into this narrative where we know that Jesus has already died and rose again and he's appeared to his disciples, right? I'm here. This is happening. Jesus had done his very best throughout his entire lifetime with them, the time he spent with his disciples to prepare them. Come follow me. In all of the Gospels, you can find um, him saying, I must go away, suffer many things, and be raised on the third day. All throughout his story with them, he's constantly trying to prepare them for what was to come. John 14 He talks about going to prepare a place for them, and he's going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. Constantly trying to prepare their hearts for what was to come. Constantly. This whole time with them was about preparing them for what's to come. We enter into Acts, and it's here. They are face-to-face with Jesus, resurrected, been appearing all over the place. And yet, they still are asking him, Lord, is the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? He's been telling them all that's going to happen, all that they're going to be prepared for, what it's going to look like. And still, faced with the resurrected Jesus, they're asking about the freedom of Israel and the establishment of our kingdom. We meet them in this. It's such a human moment to be face-to-face with the man, the rabbi that you have followed for three years, who you just saw crucified and resurrected, and you're still asking about our kingdom, our freedom. Do you see the mist there? They weren't prepared to enter into that space with Jesus. Their hearts weren't ready to put aside the human part of it and say, whatever is going to happen, we're following you. Tell us what to do. It's just a human moment that I totally identify with. When I think I'm prepared for something, and Jesus has been telling me to be prepared for something, and then the moment comes, I'm like, hey, about that thing, freedom. You're going to free Israel now? Are you going to come in on your white horse? Are you going to establish our kingdom? From just a human perspective, what a human thing to do. But we enter into Acts in this moment, and Jesus is going to leave them. It's here. The time is now. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to guide you. You're not going to have me anymore. I love that we get this picture of their life, because then if anybody's read up to where we are into tomorrow... We're going to start reading about the testimony in the life of Stephen, which talk about a man that was prepared to give it all. He was prepared to give it all for Jesus. It's a tremendous part of the book of Acts. But now that Jesus has left them, they have to live into this new reality. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. They become activated 
in a new way, and they're taking everything that Jesus did and taking it to the world, basically. It's an incredible moment. Sometimes we have to recognize that there's powers that kind of come against us, things that distract us from learning and being available and being prepared for what God is going to do. And we see this in the disciples. Not recognizing my own weakness. That's constantly a part of a relationship with Jesus, recognizing where I end and he begins, where my weaknesses have me and the power that he brings into my life. Second is tolerating our own complacency. Sort of that, I'll, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it another time. I'll get to it another time. Indulging in individualism. We have no idea how strong this power is in our lives. We really don't. It's a very hard one to wake up to. It's a very hard one to wake up to. Recognizing that my longing for my own life and things and space, it is a thing to sacrifice on the altar of community and recognize that we are truly better when we're together. That does not mean it's easier. In fact, it might be harder on some levels, relationally. But we have to come face-to-face with individualism, as Mark Sayers was saying. And then the last, just allowing idols more power. We don't talk a lot and think a lot about idols in our current context as a church and as a community, the Big C Church. There's a lot of idols. There's a lot of things in our lives that create clutter and take up brain space, and take our time and our attention, so much so that we as as people, as humans, have a hard time quieting, have a hard time being in silence, sitting in peace with Jesus, allowing our brains to clear. It could be everything from your home, your job, your finances, social media, entertainment, having the perfect kids. That's a pipe dream. Because nobody's perfect. But the illusion of perfection can sometimes be an idol for us. These things, which Mark Sayers has named for us, are things that keep us from getting to Jesus in the true, authentic way that we deeply long for. I did a um, public speaking class online at the end of last year, and our gal that led it, she shared this slide with us about the pyramid of motivations. She created this, and she got it from somebody else, I guess. Um, But this is a really interesting thing to reflect on when you reflect on um, being prepared, how you grow in spiritual maturity, how you grow in your spiritual life, reading the Bible, learning to pray. The human motivation there, starting out with fear, guilt, and shame, 
a sense of duty, personal need, personal benefit. These are all things that motivate us. So as we were talking and learning about how to shape and form um, different teachings and different trainings, isn't it so fascinating? Like most teachers would say, you got to go after that stuff to get people's attention. And it's true, you do. But then you get to that midline and you look at God's mission, motivation, vision for the future, purpose and calling, identity and love. Why aren't those things motivating to us? Like we have to ask the question, why aren't those things motivating to us as humans? One of the things I think Jesus wants to do in renewal is to set us free from that bottom half. To set us free from fear, guilt, and shame. To set us free from doing something just because we feel obligated or it's a duty. To set us free from just even our needs solely being the driving force. Doesn't mean your needs aren't important. But sometimes they can become so loud in us that they become the driving force to us making decisions. To set us free from just being in it for our personal benefit. It is personally beneficial for you to spend time with Jesus. It is personally beneficial for you to be in the word. It is personally beneficial for you to learn how to hear his voice and to walk in peace that the world does not have. Part of the thing that I think John and I have been trying to bring to the table here in the last month or so is the top half of that pyramid. There is a greater vision for life and why we're here and our purpose, greater vision for calling, greater vision for your identity, greater vision for the love of God being communicated to the world. And as pastors... I got to tell you, we spend a lot of time in that bottom half of the triangle. Spend a lot of time in that tier attending to those things because it's important. But we also kind of miss out on the conversation in the top half. God is moving. He is moving. Whether the Chiefs win the Super Bowl or not, God is moving. He is doing something he always has been. But I think things are getting turned up loud enough in this moment in time, particularly in our city, that it's like, man, if you're not paying attention, you might miss it. If your heart's not prepared to engage with the Lord on a different level in a different conversation, you might miss it. You might miss it. And don't get me wrong, we have to attend to human motivation. It is what drives us. It is what drives us. But I do believe God's calling us into a, a bigger sense of freedom from those motivations to live into the motivations that he has for us, he has for you. As I've thought about the disciples and the time that they're in, and as we enter into the book of Acts, it's just like, what if they had missed it? 
what if they had missed it? What if their hearts hadn't been ready to receive? What if their minds hadn't been prepared to hear and to look for Jesus? They did it imperfectly, as they would, as I would, as a human. But what if they just were like, nah, I'm not going to sit in the upper room for days on end waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's weird. That's weird. What if they had missed it? What would that story be like? What would the story, how would the story have ended? As you read the book of Acts over the next few weeks, think about that. As you read that story and as it unfolds, think about what if they had missed it? What if their hearts and lives weren't prepared? How do we begin to respond to something like this? And there's a couple things. The first is learning to pursue the presence of God by recognizing his holiness. Here's what that means to me. Learning that his narrative is higher and different than the narrative we see and hear every day. You're getting all sorts of stories coming at you all day long. The age of information. It's just funneling straight into your life and heart. It is a discipline for me to step back and say, his narrative is is different than this. His holiness, his ways are different than this. The second is to allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. To not be afraid of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. It's okay for that to happen. That's what we want to happen to see transformation. That we might start to identify, man, what's that feeling? What's the Holy Spirit saying to me? I need to attend to that. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is a good thing. It helps us. It's like a compass, a navigator that helps us find our way to hear the Lord and to allow him to begin to transform our life. taking opportunity to confess. And here's what I want to say about that. Take the opportunity to be honest. We make confession out to be sort of this holier-than-thou kind of thing. It gets into this category that can get real wonky and real weird. Taking the time to confess is just to be honest. This is where I'm at. These are the questions I have about Jesus. These are the doubts I have. I'm not sure. These are the things that I'm recognizing in my own life that just aren't healthy, that aren't good fruit. And then learning in a new way how to repent. That's a part of the contending patterns that we've talked about here as a community regularly. Repenting is learning a new way of living. Literally turning from doing one thing to doing another one. Turning away from an old way and stepping into a new way. That is the invitation. Are we going to live in repentance? Man, this way has not worked for me for a long time. God is speaking. God is moving. I get the sense that he wants me to do something about this, to attend to this part of my life and heart. 
just want to ask you, what are you doing today to cultivate your heart and tune into the frequency where God is speaking to you? Are you aware that he wants to talk to you? There's people in this room that put their hand in the air and say, God doesn't speak to me. I promise you he does. Sometimes it's just learning to tune in, to try something different, to try something new, to walk in a new way. We can't always be perfectly prepared for every situation that we might face. But we can build a life on a foundation that is stronger than all of the narratives that are funneling into our lives right now. If you want more of Jesus in your life, you can ask him for that. If you need help navigating that and figuring out how to do that, you can ask for that. We've talked about contending patterns several times. I've even spoken about it over the last few months, different ways to live in a contending pattern, to swim against the flow, the current. Prayer, being in the word, slowing down, attending to our inner life, our motivations, why we do what we do, Emmanuel Emmanuel journaling, emotionally healthy spirituality, At the end of the day, I can put all the contending patterns and opportunities in front of you, but if you don't start to live into that and choose those ways, nothing will change. Nothing will change. It's like, isn't that the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results? The invitation in 2020 is, come try something new. And see if it starts to shift and change your heart and engage your life with Jesus in a way that you may have never known before now. I'm going to tell you about an opportunity here as we close. Um, Before I do, one of my favorite guys to follow, um, to read with, is James Clear. He really acts like he's a believer. He's never come out and said he's a believer. But he's basically an expert on habits. And he says this, new goals don't deliver new results. New lifestyles do. A lifestyle is not an outcome. It is a process. For this reason, all of your energy should go into building better rhythms and not chasing better results. All of your energy should go into building better rhythms He used the word rituals, rhythms, and not just constantly changing, chasing a better result. If you want to know more about learning to change your habits, he's a great one to look into, really, truly. He talks about doing 1% every day. A rate of 1% change over time is going to yield more results than trying to get an hour, you know, say you want to read the Bible for an hour. It's better for you to do five minutes a day and increase that over time than to set yourself up for failure. Be like, I'm going to eat perfectly in this way so I can lose weight. I'm going to do this exercise thing in this way perfectly 
Do you see what I'm saying? It's the same with our spiritual life. In terms of taking an opportunity with you today, I just want to draw your attention to our website at gatheringnetwork.org. And if you go to the website and you scroll down to Up and Coming, this is what you'll see, the Emmanuel Journaling Experience. If you click on that, you'll find all the details about this opportunity that Steve and Kim and I are working on making available to you. This would be a great way to step towards community, to step towards the voice of Jesus, and to step towards a new skill and habit and way of hearing him in your life. So when you click on that, you'll see these details. We have an opportunity for women coming up and an opportunity for men. Women on February 22nd, Saturday morning, there's 21 spots available at each of these. 21 spots available. Men on February 29th, Saturday morning. You do have to sign up because we have limited spots available. So you do want to go to the website and sign up if you want to take advantage of this contending pattern opportunity. It's about hearing the voice of Emmanuel, allowing him to see and hear you, for you to hear him, how he thinks about you, what he thinks about you, and then being able to connect in community with that pattern, with that skill. Once you sign up, we'll make available all the details in terms of location. It'll be at Stephen Kim's house, which is a wonderful, comforting space to be in. But again, I just want to encourage you, this is a way to step towards Jesus and say, I'm going to learn to hear your voice. I'm going to learn to prepare my heart to receive what you're doing. I'm going to make space. I'm going to clear the clutter I'm going to put down all the things that are distracting me. And I'm going to step into something new. Will you pray with me and we'll close for the morning? Father, we sit before you in this moment. On behalf of my community today, I just say we don't want to miss what you're doing. We don't want to miss what your spirit is stirring in our city, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our lives. We don't want to miss it. Thank you today that we don't have to live in fear of that, that we can trust you with the journey that you have us on, that you are already preparing our hearts like a farmer prepares soil to receive a seed. We thank you for the story in your scriptures of the disciples and all the different ways we can identify with them. Their fear, their hurt, their pain, their worry, their concerns. Thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would expand each heart and mind in this room today to receive what the Holy Spirit is doing. That we would evaluate our posture, that we would allow 
you to speak. If there's places of conviction that we would step towards that with honesty, with hope, and with vulnerability. We thank you today, Father, that you value all those things. If there's something about this this morning that has touched some area of your life, I just want to ask you to turn your hands over and open them up. If that's you, if the Lord is speaking to you about preparing your heart for what he's doing. Father, we say grace upon grace upon grace for each person in this room whose hands are turned over willing and ready to receive what you have for them. Speak to their pain. Speak to their hearts. Speak to their habits. Ask that you would make it impossible for them not to say yes to you. Put a hunger in each of our hearts to know you, to truly know you in a new way, Father. We just submit all these things to you today in your name. Amen. To learn more about the Gathering Network, go to gatheringnetwork.org. Thanks for listening.